All right, let's uh, continue. We are uh, studying the Sabbath, and we are studying the Sabbath in the Gospel of John under the title, The Sabbath and the Revealer. And this is our fourth time on this topic. And we ended last time saying that there are some conspicuous Sabbath verbs in the in chapter 5 in the Gospel of John. And the conspicuous word, verb and word is that the Father is working and Jesus is working. I am. My Father is working and I am also working. Or Jesus actually says, my Father is working until now and I am also working. And then we have Sabbath text in uh, Genesis and Exodus where it is not working that is highlighted. It is the very opposite. It is resting. God rested. And that is the, the, the stable, stable theme uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament, in the first two books of the Old Testament. <clears throat> so we ask these questions at the, as we ended last time. Does the rest of God in the Torah and the work of Jesus in John, does it expose a conflict in the very heart of the Sabbath or in Sabbath theology in the Bible? Uh, and then could the rest of God in the Torah and the work of Jesus in John signify something other than a contradiction? And we're not going to answer these questions now. Uh, we, I'm just keeping them here in, in play because I would like us now to, to uh, uh, do John 9, the other big Sabbath chapter in, in uh, the Gospel of John. Now, the Sabbath uh, theme is widely or, or diffused throughout the Gospel of John, but there are two chapters that are where there is sustained attention to this subject. So let's do chapter 9. And I will ask one of you to start reading here, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, the, <clears throat> I put as a headline for this that there is a question of ideology here which, of course, in, in, in medical <coughs> context is a very, very relevant question, you know. Uh, what caused it? What was the cause? Uh, but it's risky to ask an etiological question when, there is, when it has a moral connotation, when there is a con connotation of responsibility. Uh, so you get a little suspicious at, at the, the sort of... Uh, <coughs> This, the agenda behind this, this etiological question. Or maybe, as I think Harvey was uh, hinting last time, maybe we are just listening in on, on an explanatory paradigm for disease in general, that there is, where there is disease, there must have been, there must have been sin. There must have been sin, you know. So there is disease here. There is an ailment. And so, you know, because it sounds like, it doesn't sound like, you know, that they, it sounds like the options for behind this question are limited. It sounds like you know, you know what causes sickness. You just want to know who did it, you know. So you, 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 the, the, the cause of sickness is not in doubt. It is really, you know, who, who, who is at fault here? Uh, you might want to comment on this, and I, 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 welcome, I, I, I welcome a comment on, on, on the, 
the, the sort of beginning of that conversation. Yes, Harvey. If we can identify who did it, we can ignore the blind man. The blindness is not the issue. The suffering of the man is not the issue. It's the who done it. And this frees us from sharing in his suffering. There is kind, there is kind of that, you know, the, the 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 sense you get of this conversation is that that the disciples they take an interest in this man for just explanatory reasons. There is something to be explained, but there is, but he is not a person of interest other than at that level. It would seem, you know, that that they they notice him. He saw a man blind from birth. Well, they saw him too. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? You know, that's the question that comes to mind. And, and once that question is answered, maybe the interest in, in the man is also at an end. Uh, Nanette, you have. Uh, William Barclay makes a decision, uh, distinction that this is the only miracle in the Gospels in which the sufferer is said to have been inflicted from his birth. And he goes on to say, the other two incidents, um, they have been helpless from their birth. Now, I'm not sure I see his distinction, but maybe something in the original language distinguishes the two. But my first impression was this was an intrauterine um, event, as perhaps maybe the others were, you know, neonatal. Um, But I'm not sure... I'm not sure that that makes. Have 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 you delivered? Have you delivered? Wait, hold the mic, mic. Have you ever delivered babies where you could tell that that this is a child that will be that will not have sight, that will not be that that you could tell? Can you tell at birth? Uh, are there times where you could say this is a child blind from birth? You have not experienced that. And you're... No, I mean you could you could say it's maybe unlikely at a really premature baby that a child may end up blind, but I mean as <coughs> I wouldn't be able to tell at the time Well, it would have to be a very obvious, obvious type of, of, of deformity that way. Yeah, some people have asked, you know, how could the parents have, this, have sinned? You know, what, what sort of paradigm would that be, that the parents could have sinned to cause the blindness of the child? Well, what's, what, wouldn't that be quite irrelevant? I don't believe in reincarnation, you know. Well, some people may have done that. You know, in the Hellenistic environment, there might in fact have been seeping into into their their worldview a, a possibility that the parent that he is suffering for, or or he is suffering. Uh, yeah, well, his parents. Uh, I, I said it wrong. That he is uh, he sinned in a previous life. That's what it was supposed to be. Uh, I comment. Yes, go ahead. It seems to me that they're asking a really deep question, in fact, because, you know, the fact that this man has been blind from birth, and I think they're trying to determine, well, if he was born blind, how could he have sinned? So I think they're asking a real deep question about whether we're born with sin or or not. And, and the, the Jesus kind of blows it off and says, he's a prop. Don't worry about it. He's just a prop. 
Okay. Well, I, I, I'm happy to, to entertain it as a question that, that, that this could be seen as a deep question. It could also be seen as a question of detachment, but, but it could go either way. We need to entertain that other possibility too. Uh, I saw a couple of hands here. Yes. I think it, it is a fair question by the disciples because the previous miracle which Jesus performed, he told that person, go and sin no more. So they figured that, okay, that guy sinned, and now what is the sin of this person? We tried to tweak that a little last time to say that there may be other, con other possibilities than the, fa than the possibility that this man was suffering from a self-inflicted sin. But that possibility is there. That could, could be. Could be. Uh, so we, we could not take that off the table. Yes. So, um, this thinking that if you're sick or, or something's wrong with you, it's because you've sinned. And one writer wrote that um, this thinking, which is quite common even today, um, this thinking was perpetuated so that when Jesus died on the cross, the people would think that uh, he's a sinner. Yeah, exactly. Well, there is, there is a, a book in the Bible that is entirely devoted to debunk that, that connection between, uh, between uh, suffering and sin, which is which book? Well, the book of Job is, is very much dedicated to that, where, where the conventional uh, paradigm has, has sin as a uh, suffer sickness as a consequence of sin. And, and Job is contesting that with all his might. Well, here is Jesus' answer. Let's read it. Either this man or his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So they... Let's just say that they take an etiologic interest in this man. What caused it? What's the, what is the reason for it? And they want to have an ex explanation. But Jesus, what is his interest in the man? It is not an etiological interest, but a remedial interest. What do we do about it? What, are we what, what do we do now? And I want to just throw in a, a little bit of a... Uh, you, know, you know, you're used to this, watching television in America, and you have ads. <laughs> this is a commercial break. This is your commercial break now. <laughs> and because I have been in correspondence with Marilyn McCord Adams. Marilyn McCord Adams is a theologian and philosopher who has taught at many prestigious institutions in, in, in America and uh, in, in the U.S. And, and also at Oxford. She has been a professor at Yale and, uh, and at Oxford. And she has signaled that she is willing to come here and speak on, on the subject of suffering. She has written a book called uh, Horrendous Evils and the Goodness of God and another book called Christ and Horrors, where she... Uh, if you would be familiar with the word theodicy, the suffering and goodness of God problem, she does not think that one should do much, spend much time on explaining what, why things are the way they are. She thinks that the task is, you know, what do you do about it? What is the remedial way? What is the, uh, how do you defeat what she calls horrors? 
and and she has a will. So I think you know she is at least in the discussion in the Gospel of John. She would be on the side of Jesus, who is more interested in takes the remedial route rather than the explanatory route. So it's possible that Marilyn uh, that uh, she will be here uh, on April twenty first. So on the on a weekend in April. Uh, we, uh, maybe not that weekend, but it could be that weekend. And I think she will. She is not a cosmic conflict theo- theologian, so I dis- I differ with her on that. But but I'm very respectful of of some of the parameters that she draws up, and and our community needs to to be uh, exposed to to. Uh, other other parameters, other ways of imagining uh, these stories. So I'm very happy if this this uh, happens. So that was the commercial. Now back to our topic. <laughs> yes, Danielle. I don't know what the disciples' agenda was when they asked, but it seems to me everybody who said wants to know what's caused it, because if you know the cause, there's a good chance you can eliminate. So I, I don't think I'd be quite so dismissive of the focus on the cause or a dismissive, dismissive of the cause and focus on the remedy which of course is important but I think people that are suffering also but if you're, if you're blind from birth that sort of takes you that takes that, 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 then you're handed something you know that makes the explanatory task more difficult doesn't it? Oh, I'm not saying it isn't I mean even today we have a lot of things that yeah even if they know the cause, they don't know how to eliminate the cause. But I mean, I don't think I think that's an obvious question: is how did this happen? Okay, so we go with that, and we uh, will also say that it is a conventional question, and that maybe Jesus shows interest in this man for unconventional reasons. That he takes an an unconventional interest in in our uh, in our uh, uh, patient here so let's uh, let's read on here verses 6 and 7 comment here from Harvey Jesus comment born blind so that is very interesting <laughs> so that yeah. now that's followed by we he saw the man born blind from birth. We must do the works. Well, here again, of course, there is working again here, and we will know later that the man was cured on the Sabbath. So we have, we have again, we, we have again, uh, we must work the works. So here again, we must work the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So we, we have another pile of, of verbs here related to work, just like we had for the Sabbath healing in, in John 5. Now, so that. That is, a, that is, you know, because the word in Greek there is, is hina. Hina is a, is a causal word. John uses, John uses his diction, he uses hina much more than other books in the, in the New Testament. He just piles it on. And hina sh- can be translated with ordinarily, in ordinary Greek, it will usually be translated for the purpose that God's work. So it was God, it was staged, it was choreographed 
for God to do this. So he is suffering. This man is blind in order with the pur- for the purpose of, of Jesus healing him. But that doesn't work. <laughs> most interpreters, most translators think that the Hina clauses in John are not working that way, that he, he just piles it on. He is, he is so, you know, he has his pockets full of Hina clauses. And, 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 and so the better translation here would be, he was born blind with the result that God's works might be revealed in him. There is a, it is a resultative and not, it is not the cause. It is not a purposive, but a resultative hina. Now that, you slowed us down there, but it was necessary because I, this, there is very wide agreement that it would be better here to translate it. He was born blind with the result that God's work. So there is no, it was not that God planned his blindness for the purpose of healing him. It is still that he is blind, and blindness has the result that something, you know, I, I can do something about it. Now, I think we need to, to I would be quite eager to make a, a rather firm commitment for that reading and not the other in this particular text, and there is wide agreement to, uh, on that point. Okay, let's move on now and read our, our healing act, action here. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud upon the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. You might want to comment on this. I really should have done something here. I should have bought some mud, you know, like we, we had such a nice healing here the last Sabbath, and I, I actually planned to bring some mud today and, and, and do the whole thing, but, but I, 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 I sort of lost my resolve. Do <laughs> you think there's any significance, you know, in the, uh, the healing last week, Christ asked the man, do you want to be well? He did not ask the blind man the same question. Say more about that. You know that. So, so you you mean that he doesn't do anything? There is no consent here. There is no participa- participation. Well, you know, in reference to what Brad had said last week, in terms of the approach that Christ took. Now, maybe this comment was made and I missed it. But afterwards, in reading this, I got a room full of physicians, and this question asked of a paralytic. Um, do you want to be healed was not rhetorical you know some people don't want to be healed some people want to want the secondary gain of everyone taking care of them and not shouldering responsibility Um, and so I I think it was a very incisive question that Christ asked the paralytic and I just thought it was interesting that he wasn't in this in this healing, wasn't asking the blind man the same question. I, I think you are right that there are some people who may not want to be healed, but I would be hard-pressed to find anyone in my uh, history of practicing medicine who thinks that they do not want to get healed. That, that would be, you know, that they might not want to get healed, but they would not, that would not be at the level of their awareness they would think about themselves that they want to be healed. But then, of course, there could be 
issues, there could be consequences, there could be a price to, to pay that makes you not, that you, that you in actual fact will not, will not want to take that route. But, but it's good. It, it's good to linger around that. I thought we did an excellent job last time, Brad, Harvey, others, who talked about the, the need to win the person's confidence, the, the need to establish a certain level of trust before you, you sort of command the person to do whatever you do, because that would, would, uh, would, uh, would, uh, that you, there is a sort of participatory thing, and there is that here too, even though there is no direct, you know, the, the, the initial steps between Jesus and this man must happen all on the level of body language. They talk about him. They must stand near him and talk about him. Who sinned, this man or that man? Jesus says neither him nor or his parents. So within his hearing, I assume, they take that off the table and that creates hope for the man. You know, they, take, they took that burden off him already. And then, you know, it happened so that, that uh, you know, the, uh, God's work might be revealed in him. If that also is said in the hearing of the man, then, you know, there is some hope here. Because unlike the paralytic who has been ill for 38 years, the person who has been blind all his life is less likely to expect to be healed. He is not, he, he, he might see healing as a, as a less, less uh, likely prospect. Yeah, just agreeing with that, he did have the, the choice still where Jesus says, now go and wash, and he wasn't healed until doing that. And, you know, you can go back to the Old Testament, and, and people have had problems with being told to go and wash. <laughs> um, so he had to believe, but I think that he took that initiative he touched him and he did something to him and then he just said go so that the man didn't even have to come and say um, yeah I want to be healed I believe I can be healed he, he, he just had to have enough to say he, he touched me he's doing something to me okay I, I trust him I'll go and wash and sometimes we need um, you know we're weak enough that we need that initiative the feeling like God is touching us first before he even asks us to, to make it a response. So which, which story in the Old Testament are we supposed to think about here? Naaman, who goes there and, and goes to that river and, and immerses himself. It's similar. And, and, and this is quite messy. You know, it's, quite, it's demonstrably messy, isn't it? Spitting. You know, making that, uh, this uh, mud thing, you know, of this, it even says he spat on the ground. This is not Sabbath words. You know, he made with the saliva and spread the mud. You know, this is, uh, this is quite, quite messy, you know. But there is then, there is some sort of verbal contact and now there is, now there is skin contact, isn't there? Now there is skin contact, you know. It, so he touches his skin, you know. And that is not an everyday occurrence for this man that people touch his skin, maybe. So he touches his skin and smears it on his eyes, you know. Uh, so that there is, there is, you know, that, that must, maybe that was electric, you know. Maybe it was, you know, there have been times somebody has touched my skin and I thought it was just amazing. I felt really really uh, uh, blessed by it in some way. So anyway, uh, there were some comments here. 
what you just described is, is this big drama <laughs> because before what happened Jesus asked the, the paralytic would you like to be healed it's like yeah okay we'll pick up your bed and walk Jesus speaks the, the man follows his commands and he does his thing as we saw this is kind of a setup for challenging the Sabbath by having the man pick up the bed at this time Jesus does all the things that you just described. I mean, there's a lot of drama in making this mess as you describe it, and making this mud, and then putting it on his eyes. That's all drama. Everybody's watching it. Jesus knows what he's doing right there. Yeah. Everybody but the blind guy, because he can't see. <laughs> so, again, you know, we made the distinction last time between narrative time and actual time. And here, of course, we can make that, you know, that, that distinction is necessary even more because here there is, you know, it doesn't take us long time to read about the mud, but it must have taken Jesus, he, he might have had to spit on the ground several times to get this to, to be, you know, workable material and then to put it on, you know, to make it into, you know, this takes a while and all the time in the presence of this man who is beginning to feel, <coughs> feel a little bit of, of expectation, perhaps. As near as I can recall, in the Old Testament, the dust is not a holy thing. In fact, it tends to be more sin than anything else. Okay. But Christ entered the dust, and it becomes a healing balm. Right. I mean, there's something very deliberate here. Yeah, there is something very deliberate here. This mud is crucial. Yeah, actually, that is right. That is, <laughs> there is something very... Yes, okay. I have a question. Do you think God was responsible for his blindness? From verse 3. Do I think that God was responsible for his blindness? No. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So if, if God was responsible, then God was also responsible for evil. But I read the Hina clause there as a result that, that there is no that Jesus does not enter. He does not, in this case, engage the question of who caused it. He only engages the question of who will fix it. You know, there is there is a good saying by Robert Schuller, and uh, who has a very big church in the neighborhood that has has all kinds of problems now, the Crystal Cathedral. But he says in one of his memorable phrases, he says everybody was fixing the blame, but nobody was fixing the problem. You know, and there is a sense there that the default position in theology has more been to fix the blame than to fix to fix the problem. Uh, we need to move on here. Was there a, another comment? Yes, we can. Danielle. Do you think this is at all uh, a commentary on the practice of healing? It's so personal, and there's this whole movement of depersonalizing healing. <laughs> I really like this story for that as a case study. I like these stories. I think you made them. The comments that came last time and comments that are coming now make these stories work as case studies for, for healing, for establishing trust, for, you know, sort of creating, creating an environment of hope. 
that there is an expectation that this is not assembly line miracles. You know, you mail it in, or as one of the, or as one of the uh, TV preachers who is into healing, when they heal, they say, "Touch your TV," you know, and that that will help. You know, there, this is personalized. This is very up close and personal in 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 every way, isn't it? So, yes, John. Along those lines. The paralytic was at a place where you went to get healed, where the blind man wasn't. Now, you, you and I, we know that there has been a prior Sabbath healing in this story. You wonder if the blind man knows. You know, you wonder what sort of environment he is in, you know, that, because we know. But, you know, we don't know what he, he knew. So let's read on here. And now I'm breaking up the text on purpose here to, to make us see the dialogical character of what goes on. The man has been healed. Now there will be a pattern, in my view, in four, four cycles of investigation and interrogation. First, an investigation, an interrogation about the man's identity. Let's read it in verses 8 and 9. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. In my, uh, in, on my iPod, I've told you before, I have a, 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 an audio of the NRSV. Uh, and when the NRSV reads this, it assigns parts. The people who read it, they have assigned parts. So we have, uh, we have uh, somebody in this voice. Is this not the man? The neighbors, they talk. Is this not the man? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, it is somebody like him. You know. So we have an investigation. We have a conflicting testimonies about him. Now, he kept saying, and that's very important, he said, no, the Greek doesn't say he said. The Greek says he kept saying, because he is trying to get a word in. You know, they say, they say, well, I, you know, I am the man. So in this case, you know, he's trying to break through. So we are ascertaining the man's identity here in the first uh, investigation here. We already have a sense that this is going to be a, there is going to be some conflict here. There is some, this is a, a, a problem, what has happened. So we continue now uh, in the first cycle of investigations and interrogation about the man's, here uh, we could call this uh, a question of the man's trustworthiness. So let's read it, verses 10 and 11. But they kept asking him, then how, how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus to me, but spread it on his eyes and said to me, go to uh, Salome and wash. Then he went and washed and received my son. So what do we have now? We have ascertained the man's identity and we have heard his story that he really has, was a blind person and now he is not a blind person anymore. Uh, and we see, uh, reading on here, let's just read verse 12 in the, le in the left uh, hand column here. They said to him, Where is he? 
he said, I do not know. Okay. So now the investigation moves. We know the man, we know his life story, but now the investigation, the interest shifts from the man to Jesus. We see that, that happening here. Uh, so they said to him, where is he? And just like in, just like in John 5, uh, there is a, he does not know here in John 9, and the man in John 5, he also uh, did not really know uh, fully who, who, had, who had healed him. So <clears throat> then we go to verse 13, and we go to cycle number two of investigation and interrogation. Now there is, we will see that there will be an accusatory uh, uh, texture to what is happening. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. And read for 14 while you're at it. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Okay. Is there a sort of hinting that there would be an accusation? Well, why should they bring him to the Pharisees? You see, they see a problem, uh, that this is a problematic thing that has happened, so they bring him to the Pharisees for, as a part of their investigation. And this is already, you know, just like in John 5, uh, it is very similar here, uh, John 5, 9, now that day was the Sabbath, or but that day was the Sabbath. Same wording here, but it was the Sabbath. So, so there is no question about the Sabbath being a crucial element here in the, in the plot. So let's summarize what we have so far. The identity of the man has been ascertained beyond reasonable doubt. Yes or no? The identity of the man has been ascertained beyond reasonable doubt. <laughs> okay. Number two. The veracity of the man, that he is really telling the truth, the veracity of the man and the fact of his healing have been ascertained beyond reasonable doubt. Yes or no? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In the movie Twelve Angry Men, there is one uh, juror who disagrees <laughs> with, the, with the others. <laughs> and... and and the other guy says, oh, no, there is always one. <laughs> and I'll, I'll play the part of Henry Fonda and change all your minds. Uh, verse 18, they go up to this point. The Jews are not, or some of the Jews are not, or the Pharisees are not absolutely uh, convinced that this man was blind because it says in verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received the okay. okay. And they asked him, well, is this your son who you say was born blind? And what does and that he does now see? So okay. there is a question okay. up to this point. <laughs> no, that, that's fine. Now the question that we will end up with here is, of course, what is reasonable doubt? So, so you know, let's say you have a point that, there is, that the, the game is not over. We'll have to do it again, you know. Uh, so we'll 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 have to uh, to I I'll, I'll backtrack you know uh, it was uh, we'll see it, uh, a comment here yes. Those, yes those were the same people though that weren't letting him say he was the person yeah. that are saying we're not going to believe you I mean the Pharisees that were there when they they were the same people that weren't letting him talk well maybe maybe but anyway anyway. Just let's just say, you know, 
now I see the point. It needs to be done again. We need to do this in more cycles. Uh, you will you agree with me that it was the Sabbath. And you will agree that there is trouble on the horizon. That I think we can say. So, so now we see that we saw last time that four times the mat plays a role in the plot of the Sabbath healing. And now, how many times do we have here? He spat on the ground and made mud and spread saliva, uh, 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 with the saliva and spread the mud, twice mud here. The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes. Jesus made mud and opened his eyes, and he put mud on my eyes. So we have five times uh, mention of mud as a, as a crucial uh, constituent of the plot here. Um, yes. Um, just on the one that says it is the Sabbath, I just noticed that in verse 5, 9, it says now that it was a lowercase Sabbath as opposed to a the uppercase Sabbath. And isn't the Sabbath is a commandment, but did that rule hold true also for simply holy days? Or was that just, like, is this referring to the Sabbath? And if so, why didn't they capitalize it? Well, that's... Well, that's, that's, <clears throat> that's a very observant question because it is in John 5, it is without the article, it is Sabbath, it is Sabbath, it says without the article. And in John 9, it says it is the Sabbath. But I think most interpreters do not put much emphasis on it because you could say, you could make it a sort of higher case without the articles. So it, that distinction even though that is a distinction that the text, there is that difference in the text, maybe we cannot make that much, much of it. That's, that's, that, would be the, that is the tendency of, of how to interpret those distinctions. Usually, use of the article or non-use of the article in Greek is quite significant, but it doesn't always work with those of us who write in a foreign language, you know, and, and, uh, and Greek may not have been the native tongue of our of our author, that's a, that's a possibility here. That's, that, that confounds issues like that a little bit. So let's, uh, <clears throat> let's just say a couple of things here is from uh, Joanne Brandt's commentary on John, uh, uh, a commentary that I have just read, and I like it very much. As a plot element, the action of making mud eliminates any ambiguity about whether Jesus' actions constitute violation of the Sabbath if the standards in the Mishnah are ex applicable in the first century AD. The Mishnah is a post-AD 70 book. It, was not, it had not been written at the time when these things happened. But most likely the convention that you were not supposed to do what Jesus did here uh, applied in the time of Jesus. That is certainly implied in the text. So I think we have to have to just say that that is uncontroversial. Well, we go to a new investigation and interrogation, cycle number two, and we read in uh, verse 15. Let's read that. The Pharisees also began to ask him how he received the sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Okay, so his story is not changing, you know. Well, he testified it happened this way. His story is not changing, you know, the second round he testifies, same thing, same story, uh, comment here. Why was he taken to the Pharisees? Because of his blindness, was he excluded from certain participation in the community and they needed to clear it in order to join? 
Well, my, my hunch is that the, that the people who see him uh, healed there, they know that this is controversial. There is, there is consensus early on in the story that healing this man on the Sabbath is a controversial thing. But you might, have, you know, might be able to explain it some other way. I, 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 I would tend to say, you know, why would they take him to the Pharisees when, you know, they could take him there to, to, uh, so they could participate in the celebration, I suppose, but that is not the connotation here. This is, you know, this is a negative, negative thing. If they knew, if they knew it was controversial, what, what did they intend to accomplish by taking the blind man to now see? Because we are now moving beyond the question of the man's identity and the man's veracity, we are moving, you know, there is another question coming up here, as we will see, and, and it doesn't have to do you know, this, there is a negati- negative colorization of what has happened here. You have an impossible dichotomy. The man is healed and the Sabbath has been broken. How can the man who breaks the Sabbath heal? That is the dichotomy. And, yeah. I mean, in making the mud, Christ forced that dichotomy. Yeah. That's, that's right. So, so that is what, now it is the question of the identity of Jesus or the character of Jesus. Uh, there will be some interest. We will revisit the question of the man, his trustworthiness. But now it is all about, uh, you might say, the identity of Jesus or the meaning of, of, of Jesus. So let's read verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe, observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they were divided, and they were divided initially. There was division of opinion initially about the man. Is it that man? Is it our man? Was it really him? Was he born blind? But now, what is the division about now? Sabbath Jesus. Um, something that I found interesting about this healing story, and especially the, the mud, is it's reminiscent for me, to me of Genesis. And so in that story, God is, is creating humans out of dirt. And so in this story, not only is it controversial that he's healing someone on the Sabbath, he's also doing it in the, in the same manner. And I think that speaks a lot of him saying, this is who I am, this is who I am. Well, that symbolism has a lot of potential, of course. If, if Jesus is going through the, the emotions of, of, of Yahweh, of God, as a creator in Genesis, and he's doing, it's that kind of reenactment, that would certainly be quite shocking. And, and you, might, you might have a point there. That's good. It seems like these are pretty big... Um turning points, you know, this is a hurdle of evidence that, um, you know, just like the, the story read last week in John 5, they decided to kill him uh, after that, uh, you know, when he resurrected Lazarus, who was stinking in the tomb, they left the tomb, you know, with plots to kill him, and, and now this is another big uh, turning point, so it, it seems like uh, this kind of a compelling story it, it very much forces the issue, and you either go one way or the other way uh, with regards to the person of Jesus. Well, well, it presses the point of what is reasonable doubt here in this story. You know, where what are we going to do with it? But uh, so anyway, we see here that that the, the interest has moved away somewhat from the man, 
uh, uh, to Jesus. And we go on here, verse 17. Now it is really, now, now we are talking about a completely different subject, you see. Now you hear it here. Let's read verse 17. So they said again to the blind men, What do you say about it? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He's a prophet. <laughs> You have to laugh at this point. <laughs> I mean, what is it that makes me have to <laughs> to to chuckle a little? <laughs> what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. <laughs> so what about it, you know? Well, you know, what a bad man, you know, you have uh, you had uh, you have given us a problem because it was your eyes he opened, you know. <laughs> he is somehow at fault for that and the blind man he is not he is a quite an unsentimental character he does not uh, have uh, diplomacy as his as his uh, 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 what should i say his his gift so he is very much out there saying he's a prophet i to me there is a difference in these two stories because this blind man he was he didn't ask jesus to be healed the man in John five did. Jesus just passed. There, there is a bit more of a of a of a uh, soliciting in, uh, intervention. Like the the other man says, I have no one to get me into the pool. You know, so so you're right about that. So there is, uh, and and the fact that these are, in some ways, elective interventions on the part of Jesus. This one certainly is makes the deliberate aspect of it uh, come out even more. Let's read on here. Uh, we ha- don't have that much more time. So let's read uh, verses 18 to 21. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Yeah, the Jews here should probably be understood the Jewish leaders. So this would be synonymous with the Pharisees who do not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. So they want to do, this is, this you could call reasonable doubt. Let's call it reasonable doubt. So they do an investigation and they want to hear it from the parents. Not too bad. Is this your son who you say was born blind? They do not quite accept that. How then does he now see his parents? Yes, what do they say? You know, so do we get you know, ascertainment of identity and, and veracity here? You know, so we, 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 this is cycle number three, uh, and, and this is the end here. And then we have verses 22 and 23. Let's read that. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Well, they can't really do much more than that anyway. But here we have this issue of aposynagogos, uh, expulsion from the synagogue that we discussed earlier. In, in, uh, uh, that, is a, that term uh, occurs three times in the Gospel of John. So here we see now that there is, 
there is an investigation, there is interrogation, and then there are certain facts, and there is prejudice, and there is fear. You know, there are all kinds of, of uh, uh, extraneous matters impinging on, on what you might call due process here. Uh, but uh, there is a certain sort of irresistible irresistibility to, to the process anyway. So now we go to uh, what I will, I have, you can divide this up. John says it was the second time they called the man, but there has been other things, other investigations, other groups. So I'm calling this cycle number four of investigation and interrogation. And now it is only about the identity of Jesus. So let's read it, verses 24 and 25. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind. 